The Speak Easier podcast by The Unmistakables. Welcome to the diversity conversation that everyone can learn from. Each fortnight, we interview guests from the world of business, culture and arts about the work they're doing to make the world a more inclusive place. I'm Asad. And I'm Ben. And this week we're asking, what are our Ramadan reflections? So Ben, you've been doing some client work around Islam and Ramadan at the moment, to the point where I think you've probably got more knowledge of the religion than I have. Yeah, I didn't want to say, but that's fair. Well, so as a non-Muslim, or so you purport to be, what have you learned? Well, firstly, I've learned that it's hard to plan against Ramadan because no one has any idea when it actually starts or ends. Um, I guess I've always leaned more towards consistent calendar dates like, say, Christmas or maybe my birthday. Um, but every religion I've been studying seems to have so many Easter-like uncertainties. And from a marketing point of view and as a planner, this can be really challenging. Yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know my Eid from my elbow, let's say. <laughs> well, why don't we go into that and the beauty of the Gregorian calendar with this week's guest. On this episode of The Speak Easier, we've got Mohammed Mohammed, a poet, community activist and fellow Muslim. And we're going to be discussing his reflection of this year's Ramadan in lockdown. Should we go straight in? Let's do it. Making diversity everyone's business. Welcome to The Speak Easier, Mohammed. I'd like to, first of all, explain how we met and maybe acknowledge how much the world has changed since then. We worked together at Christmas last year when we produced a film together for the Museum of London, which was recorded by you on your bike, documenting uh, the silent streets of London early on Christmas morning. Can you just imagine trying to pitch that idea now? <laughs> We'd get completely laughed out of the room. You know, every second person I see on the internet is cycling around the silent streets of London every day of the week. It's just incredible how much the world changed in just such a short period of time, isn't it? You've been cycling the streets of London for a long time uh, and then we worked together but can you tell people a little bit about why you started that tradition so it was kind of like uh, many years ago i think 2012 or 13 i just had this habit of going for local walks so i used to always go for a christmas walk in my local area on clapham junction in battersea south london and then i thought what if it's like this in the central area a part of london that is known for like its historic buildings that kind of stuff that's so what i used to do in clapham junction i used to go for these walks in the, in, in the clapham junction high street and then i used to take this signature photo every year and then i used to post it on my social media every year and then it came to me the following year cycling to a busier part of london would be an idea as well and see what type of photos i can get there because i was so amazed by these quiet streets of Clapham Junction, let alone central London. Um, so I, was, uh, I, I set off on my idea and cycled towards central London and, and I was right. The central London was dead quiet. It was, it was very quiet, more than I'd ever seen. And uh, I, I got snapping away, take, took loads of photos and then I posted it on social media and then it just blew up <laughs> and got lots of attention. And people were equally as fascinated as I was. This idea of London sleeps, which is the, the slogan I kind of came up with. Yeah, that was kind of really it. And it was, it was an exciting time at the t um, when I did it. And then what, what happened since then? So I think when we started talking, you said you, you stopped doing it because you got married. Is that right? Yeah. So what happened was, because uh, a lot of people hearing this are probably like, oh my gosh, you know, the marriage is, is stopping you from doing things. <laughs> uh, but it was more so that um, I now spent Christmas in Cardiff with my wife and her parents. And uh, so it happened to me the last time I did it was in 2015. And, uh, and what was it like when we reinvigorated the idea last year? Like, how Was it any different? Was the reception different like how was it for you I mean, it was really exciting because it's something i haven't done in a long time 
and I don't know if social media had changed five years later in terms of people's interaction with like online posts and that kind of stuff. So that that was probably the most like interesting part. And I was very intrigued to see what I could do because what I'd noticed after I was, you know, after we got in touch or we were about to do the project, um, I had a skim of other people who've been doing it since. So loads of like vloggers and video makers in 2016, 17, 18, 19 were all now really also trying the same idea as well. So it seemed like Christmas was now full of lots of vloggers on the, on the streets of London, which was also the case on the day that I filmed. And I was like, oh, wow, it's very busy. So I tried to, you know, be uh, as ambitious as I could with the type of shots I got and me planning in advance of how early I needed to cycle uh, in order to quote unquote beat the traffic <laughs> on Christmas. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely very different. It was definitely a, a, a stark contrast between the early arrives I used to do in the um, 2010s uh, to doing it most recently in Christmas. Yeah, the, the idea kind of came around because we wanted to look at this the Museum of London. We wanted to try to look at Christmas and London from a different point of view, from people that don't actually traditionally celebrate Christmas. Okay. And I know that because where, when you went out and filmed it, Mohammed, in the morning, obviously there's an edit process that goes out to get it around on the same uh, out on the same day. And we did that before. I think Gavin and Stacey went live this evening. So it was quite an achievement. But mm -hmm. I remember like seeing the look on my parents' faces. How can you possibly be working on Christmas Day? And I thought that was kind of made the point because I don't think we often think about all of the people that don't necessarily celebrate it in the same way. And I think possibly that might be what's happening on the streets as well, because London is so diverse. You know, not everybody is celebrating it in the same way. And I think it's interesting to hear about your journey from, you know, it being possibly, I think you said to me when we first met, a day when you got a bit of peace, really. You know, you could go write poetry to your, you know, kind of transition to a time of spending it with an extended family. You know, yeah, definitely. I mean, at the time, I think when I first used to do it, after I started doing the local stuff, uh, so I'd wake up really early in the morning, I'd do my morning prayers. So one of my five a day as a Muslim, I'd do my morning prayers, I'd go out for my walks, I would walk down to the riverside and it was, it was very, very peaceful. It became something more than just taking photos of a peaceful London. It also came a, a peaceful moment in my, in my own life. It, it became a very special tradition for me. And I think that's what made it very special and very personal for me. That moment of uh, blissful peace that um, other people can also share as well. I think that's really interesting because I think um, for many people that, you know, sort of mark Christmas and celebrate Christmas in quite a traditional way, for a lot of people, it actually isn't a day that they spend, spend in a particularly spiritual state, as you spoke about. It's, you know, it's quite stressful for a lot of people. It's lots of family, you know, often lots of arguments. It's, it's become about something quite different, hasn't it? So what I loved about it was our ability to, to capture that. You're not Christian and yet, you know, you're able to express your um, spiritual state on Christmas Day and what we saw from it when you shared it was a lot of love actually from the from the uh, Muslim community you know um, that was something that was really amazing for you know for me personally I know for Assad as well to watch unfold yeah that's exactly how it felt um, I think it's because maybe a lot of people resonated with the idea of spending time by yourself and even if it's for people that do celebrate Christmas and for many of those people who celebrate Christmas and may, may, may live alone work work in, uh, work in England and have family in another part of the world and it's just that moment just to kind of break away or 
it's that moment where you're also not alone and there are also people who are spending this day by themselves and, and kind of creating their own cultures do you think do you think like collectively we should do more to bring each other into each other's religious festivals and celebrations for example i've been much more aware and involved in ramadan this year in, in my own way you know in a work capacity and through being friends with Assad. i don't know if, if a lot of people give themselves permission or a little bit shy to get involved in something that they don't feel that they own yeah i can i mean i think that's probably what's unique and great about multicultural um, Britain in particular multicultural London and people always I mean if it wasn't for the pandemic I'm very sure there would have been you know Ramadan street parties uh, I know my school um, hosts an annual Ramadan street party and this year I I as a, as a new as a new member uh, I joined it via Zoom so there's always these opportunities whether it's in Christmas or not with, with these lovely Christmas markets every year uh, whether it's Eid where it's like Eid parties and Ramadan iftars communal iftars it's great to be in, in the city of London where that opportunity is available for many to explore and get to learn and be part of other people's cultures and religious uh, religious um, practices yeah i think and I, th- I hope that these kind of projects do encourage people to engage with each other's uh, faith tradition most certainly and um, have you been out on your bike uh, much since um lockdown i know <laughs> I, you know <laughs> there's lots of people out there and it's very tempting isn't it but as, as, as a cyclist have you been out much i've actually you know what i haven't but uh, me and me and uh, me and the missus made a plan that to, oh, whenever Eid is i think he's going to be on sunday um Eid, uh, we're going to go for a bike ride and we made that conscious decision of like how we're going to spend Eid together normally i'd go to south london and we spend Eid with my family and you know all, all the kind of things you would imagine that would take place on Eid. so we, we can't do that now so we're thinking oh what can we do so you know um trying to make uh little um sweets for Eid, um going out on bike rides going for a walk uh spending a lot of time together um having picnics in the gardens uh, we have a little courtyard where we live uh, so we'll have to go down and have a picnic there so we'll try to find a new way to celebrate and maybe that's when i'll be able to dust off dust off the bike and and get going around east london <laughs> so uh, i'm really looking forward to it actually brilliant with this podcast we try to make no assumptions that anybody knows what we're actually talking about so i'd really like to ask what is eid so eid is wow oh but this is funny because me and my my wife done a video recently and she had to talk about what ramadan meant to her and um and she was struggling and um i tried to encourage her you know oh yeah say this and say that and now i feel like i don't know what to say what is what is eid for me but eid normally would be uh, a celebration at the end of, of ramadan after 30 days of dedicated in your, your life to abstaining from many things that you also should be encouraged to do beyond the Ramadan, like um, not eating excessively and eating, well, I mean, fasting, but the fasting also encourages the idea of not, not eating excessively, abstaining from bad habits in your life, whether that is, you know, speaking foul language, maybe saying the wrong things and just trying to be as positive as possible and Ramadan is kind of Eid's kind of celebrates that journey that you've had for 30 days that journey that you've had to become this better person hopefully and everyone kind of has their own journey with, with Eid anyway because there's other people who are not required to fast so their understanding and celebration of Eid 
as valid as it is will be different to mine and that's that's also valued but this idea of celebrating what's been a very momentous occasion for, for Muslims around the world that they look forward to every year and they're able to celebrate it whether that's um, celebrating it with themselves and you know saying that you know I've achieved this goal um, or celebrating it with loved ones and having meals coming together prayers um, lots of sweets um, and it's kind of like a celebration of how much you've been able to achieve in 30 days and I think that's really unique one thing that baffles me Mahamud is that every time I speak to someone I say you know when's when's Eid they're like I don't know <laughs> you know as someone that marks Christmas Day every year I'm like well it's you know it's the 25th of December isn't it it's like well it might be on Saturday and it might be on Sunday <laughs> tell us <laughs> tell us why that is tell us why we never know when it is so um, the uh, Islamic calendar uh, is a lunar calendar so in, com- in comparison to the Gregorian calendar it actually has 11 months meaning every year it goes back 10 days um, and for a lot of people like oh that's a bit strange and yeah it's, in, in the context of living in the UK that's most certainly very different and it requires constant adjusting um, so kind of like adjusting your work balance trying to get the right day off for Eid um, <laughs> in, in the, whilst you're trying to work it out with your managers at work for example and it also means that Ramadan will also fall into different times of the year. So for many of us, we, we would look forward to a winter Ramadan, uh, which is inevitable. And what happens is that cycle changes every 33 years. So the last time there was a winter Ramadan, I think it was the early noughties. I'll probably have to wait for another 33 years before we can do that again. Um, so that's a fascinating part. But we follow a lunar calendar, which is 11 months. It's always uh, interesting to see Ramadan go back 10, year, 10 days every year. And this Ramadan was interesting because normally when you break your fast, from day one to day 30 it becomes shorter but for this year Ramadan got um, sunset became later so I would break my fast I think we were breaking our fast at 8 o'clock at the beginning of Ramadan and now by day 29 we are breaking our fast at 8.55 so it's it's very different as well uh, throughout this month yeah so that's that's the main reason as to why it changes every year so Mohammed, obviously this year has been really different in lockdown and we asked the question at the beginning of the podcast around Ramadan reflections. What, what have you noticed this year being in lockdown? I was saying to the team earlier, for me, one of the biggest things is actually not being around people who are eating as often as I would be if I was out and about or at work or in an office. And I've noticed that quite a lot, that I've been able to shut off from things just because I'm not around as many people. Um, have you taken things away from this month that have been quite different for you given we're in lockdown? I mean, one thing that's been really useful is that you, usually during Ramadan, you know, me and my wife would set our own separate targets or kind of like spiritual targets that we want to set for a month. But it's actually been really cool um, having a lockdown um, Ramadan because that meant we are collectively doing things together spiritually. So like our target this month was, you know, to complete the reading of the Ramadan a reading of the Quran, sorry, uh, by the end of Ramadan. And today we're like, um, we're like 20 minutes away. Um, so wow. we, we use an audible. So we thought this year we'd actually use a translated. Our target was to finish the translated version of the Quran. And uh, we, we're, we're almost there and we're on day 29. So we're really proud of our own achievement. But that, what Ramadan in lockdown has meant is um, we spent a lot of time together. Uh, collectively growing together spiritually, always praying together. So all our prayers are together. Uh, whereas if it wasn't for lockdown, I'd be praying at work. I'd be getting home late. I'd be going to my other jobs in sports. And a lot of our time is often compromised. Mm-hmm. And that, that's never been like an ideal thing. 
So actually having like a full-time Ramadan together has been really special, even for our relationship. And that's, that's been really unique. That's great. I've, I've got the same audible translation, actually. I haven't managed to keep up with it as you have, but that is an amazing accomplishment. There's been a lot of talk over the past few weeks in lockdown when we look at the government communications about um, nuanced messaging to make sure that people of different backgrounds understand the messages as they're meant to be seen. Or heard. We saw that you were part of the kind of nuanced message at the beginning of Ramadan featuring a whole host of celebrities. Um, how important do you think it's been for Muslims of influence to encourage others to follow the guidelines of lockdown and social distancing? One thing that we probably did is this message that we're all in this together. And I, I don't think, for me, I don't think it's really been anything more than that. I feel like Muslims across the country have been uh, been able to reciprocate this message of you know staying at home and actively making sure that is the case. And it's been, it's been really cool because loads of Muslims across the country have tried to organise you know online iftars, weekly Friday sermons on. On, on either Zoom or Facebook Live and we've kind of just like fully embraced it and I feel like that kind of message that we tried to put out at the beginning of the month it's kind of like we're all in this together um, regardless of our status in society regardless of who we are in, in positions of power in government you know film, media etc is that we also have that same challenge and we actually unified with this idea and it's been great because those same people who appeared in the video were doing a lot of communal gatherings online as well so that's been unique um, so that's that's probably been one of the biggest takeaways with this this whole project of um, encouraging Muslims just to, to celebrate as hard as it is especially because your Ramadan is very unique in the sense that Ramadan is literally a communal month so unlike you know just holding off for a summer barbecue this is 30 days of, of community time so I felt like the message in that context was actually quite important as well as uh, empowering for those communities to see how we can how strong we can be in very testing times and do you think we have do you think we are all in together or do you think there's pockets of society that are in it together i mean i would hope so <laughs> i would hope so i mean it's, it's always hard to, you know we can never be collectively unified on anything in the country as we would like to see so i think there's been a real challenge for different pockets of society but i feel like muslims we, we really have have made a genuine effort in making sure that we can also contribute to the wellness of our country the wellness of of, of, of um, parts of the, of the country that are really being tested like the NHS and we, we feel like we need to play our part and most certainly even when we see how coronavirus has disproportionately affected people of colour I feel like the majority of Muslims in the country who are people of colour um, have really taken that message on board and tried to be as responsible to look after themselves as well as those in their community or even their household. Yeah, that's amazing to hear, actually, because we've spoken an awful lot about that as a, as a consultancy that, you know, cares the way we do about diversity. It's it's really been something that we've thought about a lot. On to identity, actually. There's uh, a number of us at The Unmistakables, a number of friends and colleagues and family and stuff that would kind of uh, define themselves as somewhat like intersectional, whether that's uh, lifestyle choices or religions or even you know, I might refer to myself as a bit of a, a slashy in terms of uh, my career. You know, it's sometimes it's hard to say uh, what I actually do, whether I'm a writer, whether I'm a blogger, whether I'm a consultant. Um, what do you think you are? Like, first and foremost, are you Muslim, first and foremost? Are you a teacher? How would you, uh, where, what would you say? Mm, oh, wow. Oh, that's really interesting. What am I? I'm lying if I'm saying there was a pause. I actually had a big yawn. <laughs> that, <laughs> that Ramadan effect. It really it's hot as well. Uh, it really does play in your body. But um, what am I? I mean, I've always been a person who said I'm, I'm Muslim before anything because that's 
how I've engaged with my faith for my entire life. But I think the secondary is that I'm human before anything else as well. So my faith, as much as it takes precedence for me, my engagement with the world is, is how much of a good human I am. And, and, and that for me tells a lot of, of the story of who, who I am in this world. And then and after that, then it's, I'm able to break down my contributing factor to the world. So me being um, a sports professional, working as a teacher, and those kind of things have an influence on what, how it shapes my outlook on the world as well. So yeah, yeah, Muslim. It's interesting because I think a lot of people, uh, certainly a lot of British people, the, te- the first question tends to be, what are you? And I think we can often be defined by our careers or our career choices rather than who are you, which invites a completely different answer. And I wonder whether or not there's a there's a cultural difference there that, you know, you see, you know, is that something? I mean, I know that you are British, but also, you know, you've got a strong sense of culture. Do you, Would you identify more with the question, what are you or who are you? Yeah, probably more who are you? Because I'm very, I'm someone who is uh, unapologetically Muslim, the same way I'm unapologetically Somali and fully embracing my culture. I'm always talking about it and celebrating it. And it's, it's most prevalent in how I tell the story of myself in my writing, um, where I do speak a lot about my culture and, and, and how it shapes me, how it shapes me in 21st century Britain, how it um, shapes me with how I engage with people around me, my loved ones, my friends, your locals. Um, so it's probably the who, because I can't remove who I am at all so the who part always come first and the what is secondary you know if you see what allows me to be who i am you know the secondary factors like what i do might come into play but um being true to myself and being true to the amazing parents that have raised me will always shape who i am first mohammed being muslim at the moment and being a muslim in the media are difficult things I would say especially in the UK and I talk a lot about this of the perception and portrayal of Muslims and in part that's why we got to the point of the Museum of London campaign to work together um, because we wanted to show difference in a positive light and show Muslims in a positive light what's your take on that like how does it feel when you read some of the stuff about Muslims see some of the conversations about gatherings at Eid where we're being cast with a certain aspersion that maybe we're all going to get together which is very different to how the media talks about VE Day, Day celebrations. What's your take on that? How do you feel about that, given that you put yourself as a Muslim first? Yeah, I mean, especially in the context of the pandemic, we have, we have definitely been, feels like we are unnecessarily on, under the microscope, because like many of us, and this was actually also a very good critique of the, um, the video that we released at the beginning of the month, is that we always feel like we have to prove ourselves. And, and I totally get that feeling. Uh, if, if for me, I always felt like it was actually even more important in that case to share this message because that was a message directed with nuance at, at the Muslim community. And we are definitely unnecessarily looked at as, as a community that will probably supposedly be the first to uh, break the rules of following you know guidelines across the country and it's and it's a real shame that we've been portrayed in that light and and uh, i think the best way we, we've kind of dealt with it is either ignore it and just kind of do our own thing and to ignore how the media portrays us and just do our own thing as we have been doing 
and seeing all these wonderful stories, uh, whether it's in the metro where journalists are highlighting um, different Muslims who are, how they're celebrating Ramadan, news stories of how we're going to do, you know, how we're going to celebrate Eid in lockdown. And I feel like we are, we are doing ourselves justice by not only adhering to these, to these challenging times and kind of not, not this idea that we're being obedient because I don't like that language either, but we, we can, we can definitely see how it's affected our, our psyche, like how everyone's portraying us to be the ones to, to, to be the first to break uh, where we know that there's other people who are not following instructions uh, we don't want to point fingers and we just want to make sure that we are we focus on ourselves and I think us Muslims we've been really good at that do you, do you think you'll be planning um, a, a conga line for Eid this weekend nah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. I mean <laughs> the conga ain't for me either <laughs> but um, uh, most, most definitely not and I think, if anything, I'm trying to find ways of how we can have like a an evening. So normally what we're doing in, uh, with my family, unfortunately we haven't been able to do it this year, is that we kind of do like a, like a secret Santa equivalent. We actually don't have a name for it, but I've heard many Muslims call it like secret sheikh. Um, but I mean, cool for them. Um, so we yeah, are normally in Ramadan with my family and we you know, pick names out of a hat and then at the end of the month for Eid, we come together and we and on the Eid evening, we all open each other's presents. Um, and though we haven't been able to do that this Ramadan and organise it like that, I think we will try to organise some sort of like FaceTime, Zoom call with the family for Eid and, you know, everyone make noise on the camera from home because, uh, you know, that's like many of us, we are, we are, we are going to follow the rules, but we're going to follow the rules with style and have a, have a digital lockdown, uh, a digital Eid, in fact. So yeah, come yeah, I'm really looking forward to the to the different challenge um, they face it. Wonderful. Upon that, we'd really like to hand over to you. This this episode's all about reflections of Ramadan. And we've sort of got a challenge to you to deliver some poetry just on that basis, really. So over to you. I I found a poem that I wrote a long time ago, in fact. I wrote this poem when I was in my final year university. And I mean, Ramadan was in the summer back then, so it wasn't too much of a challenge to, to be away from the family. It was in that final year university where I celebrated Eid in Exeter. Because I'd, what I'll do for every Eid, I would always go back home. And I felt like I was disconnecting from all the friends that I've made at university. So I kind of wrote this poem. But uh, yeah, this poem is called um, A Month That I Need. It's typical of me. To fall in love with a month that I need. Yes, I may abstain from food, drinks and many things, but I don't mind. If it means my nights consist of more prayer and less sleep, Ramadan is an amazing dream. Feels like something greater than the ordinary. How strange. Is it that something so short can impact our lives for the rest of our days? And when it passes by, life is a little bit slower again. I will ha- not have to wake up for Sahur during those fatigued mornings. But I'll miss that. My mother's drowsy face and my sister's cleaning, their eyes crossed away, post tarawih often feel soft-hearted. My walks back home with father is a rare engagement. So no, the Eid gifts aren't important. The empty feeling at the end of Ramadan is relevant because when it goes by, I have to wait another year. And everything in between that time feels like the morning sunrise, a mist picture, a beautiful orange sky, gone too soon, only to wait another day. Yet I'm not ready to say goodbye. That's, that's brilliant, Mohammed. The, the bit about not being ready to say goodbye, I can totally resonate with, because it's almost bittersweet at the end. I, I know for me, like the last five days have been quite hard, because you can see the end, right? You can see the 
normality creeping back. I was joking with Ben that I can't wait to have another cup of tea in the morning because I've given up tea as well for the month. But then when you get to the end, like knowing that tomorrow is the last fast, it's really bittersweet, right? Because it's like the magic of the month ends. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a brilliant poem. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. A lot of us were dreading a Ramadan in lockdown. Um, I'm hearing constantly, whether it's my family members or my friends, of how how they felt spiritually this Ramadan has been incredibly productive for, for them. And um, I always wonder, will we have a Ramadan like this ever again? Probably not. And that's kind of also the bittersweet part as well. Mm. Um, so it's a real heartbreak, but yeah. Well, I guess, Mohammed, it is hard to say goodbye, but we have to end <laughs> the podcast somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank so you. a massive thank you for taking the time and it's been great talking to you again it's it was great working with you um in december and it's great chatting again so thank you very much and for when we get there Eid mubarak thank you very much thank you very much for having me uh i said ben thanks Mara. the speak easier podcast by the unmistakables Wow, well, I thought that was a brilliant interview. What did you think, Ben? I love speaking to Mohammed from the very first moment we met. Uh, you know, I remember coming back and saying, what a guy. He's just, you know, he just makes me feel really peaceful. And he's so intelligent and considered. He's got such an interesting story. And I always feel like I, I learn something when he speaks. Well, one of the things that we talk about a lot, Ben, is the media narrative around mainstream versus minority conversations and how to navigate that. And I guess he has some interesting points there about Muslims in the media. Yeah, I think, you know, um, something that we've observed together is um, is that the media in this country took a moment to really call out Muslims and say that they're going to be the people that are most likely almost to, to break the lockdown, to break the restrictions. And I thought what was fascinating, what really, really connected with me was when Mohammed was talking about just how much pride the people he knows have taken in, in actually following the rules and adapting, adapting in a time that's very challenging in Ramadan, you know, where you're fasting. Um, and it's a time to break fast with friends and, and family, and yet you can't, but, you know, everyone that he seems to know has taken a great deal of pride in making sure that they've done it the right way and doing it this way for the first time. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually my experience of the month has been more solitary than it usually is. And I think that makes you go quite introspective, but seeing how people have banded together through Zoom and the online iftars that Mohammed mentioned, it's been quite amazing to see a different way of celebrating Ramadan. And I wonder if that will continue in the future. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking quite a lot about um, how most British people can relate to Ramadan, whether or not actually the closest thing to it for, for so many people is Lent. And obviously there are some people that observe Lent as it's, as it's intended. It is a period of abstinence and fasting, but a lot of people kind of do it very casually, like I'm gonna give up chocolate and, and break fast, if you like, after about four and a half hours. What have you? What have you missed? Because it's it's more it's about more than just food. You know, what's the thing that you're looking forward to? It's hard to say because I think during lockdown we're missing so many things more broadly. Like we're missing interaction with people. We're missing going to the office. There's it's almost like there's a macro scale of things that we're missing, and Ramadan is a micro part of that. If I had to be really honest, the bit I'm missing is exercise. 
I think at a time like now, having exercise is a great way to keep your mind off things. It's a great way to exercise your body, get some endorphins going. And it's just not really possible during Ramadan. At least I, I can't. I know a lot of people do and talk about it and blog about it, but it's just not my, I've never found the rhythm to do it. So that that's the bit that I'm really looking forward to because just as much as my mind has been nurtured, I think my body has suffered a little bit on that front. But then, you know, with less food, there's fewer toxins in my body and probably healthier in other ways. I think from the tone of your voice, then it sounds like you really at peace with those uh, people that blog about it as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, get, like, I just got to a point where I think, oh, maybe I could do this and I did do one like hit class before an iftar and it was it was good it was fine but I think I was doing it just to try and prove a point rather than actually enjoying it is there anything that you'll miss from Ramadan in lockdown I think my mind has been at peace and that has been because I'm not eating. Like you can feel the difference in the afternoon, for example. I know that I get a slump after I've eaten a lunch, a big lunch, and I can't concentrate. Whereas you probably noticed, like I've been able to focus and concentrate on things to a point where my productivity's shot up. Um, maybe you haven't noticed, but yeah, it's been quite. But so I think I think I've missed that, and I think I'll also miss a bit more dedication to prayer a bit of focus on things that aren't lockdown or aren't work or aren't immediate things around you the external world like having time in the day to focus on the internal world and what your mind is thinking for me has been really good and really healthy i've learned a lot you know i've learned a lot from well i was going to say from being around you i've not been around you but you know from from working together from the work that we've been doing from the work that I've been doing and from actually listening to people like Mohammed, you know, the, the, the guy that we put together on Ramadan for businesses and brands. I think there's a real opportunity to use these times of year to learn about different cultures because actually there is quite a lot of it out there. You know, it, when I looked in mainstream media to do some of the research I was doing, most of the papers do do roundups of, you know, what Ramadan means, what Eid means what all of these different uh, times mean. I think it's just whether or not they're capturing the eyeballs of, of more mainstream audiences of people taking the time to, to actually read and learn. Definitely, I, I've seen a real change over the last 10 years. Like when I started out in PR, there was very little attention on Muslims and Islam um, to the point where if I found an article, I would, I would go a bit mad about it because it was so rare. It was a bit like how in the 80s Asians would shout if they saw an Asian on the telly because it was such a rare occasion but there's been a real shift I think in part because you've got more Muslim journalists now but yeah, again I was it's gonna say I've seen that as well yeah yeah it, but it comes back to what we talk about all the time Ben which is how do you make something that feels like it's niche or feels like it's not for the mainstream appeal to the mainstream and it's why we're in business exactly and I just think that some people need it explained really really simply it's you know with education it's always about learning the basics first and there's nothing wrong with starting there. I, I, I don't know very much, but you know, I've got the uh, I've got the, the starting blocks for it all and it's been a really good time of year for me to learn something new. Well it sounds like that was your Ramadan reflection. That was my Ramadan reflection. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> so that was the Speak Easier podcast with Mohammed Mohammed. Join us for the next one and until then you can follow us at at underscore unmistakables on Twitter and Instagram. The Speak Easier podcast by The Unmistakables. Unmistakables.